those watching online, uh, welcome. As always, we are grateful. I never know which camera to look at, that one or that one. This one's got the red light. So hey, hopefully that was the run. Um, but uh, yeah, grateful for that. So tonight we're actually uh, doing something, uh, well, a little. we always do something a little unique, but tonight we're doing a tag team message. Uh, we have Jen and Jesse Strobosser. They are going to come and share the testimony of what God's been doing in their life, uh, has done and is doing. And so we're just going to start with that uh, this evening. So would you just give a warm welcome as they make their way to the stage? Jesse's a chicken farmer and professional speaker, so. All right. My name is Jesse Strobosser. My wife, Jen, and three kids live in the Jarvis area. I want to share my story with you. I grew up in a Christian home. It was always a secondhand faith. I never really... I never really followed Jesus for myself or knew him. It was a traditional to go to church every week, but other than that, it meant nothing really to me. I met Jen when I was 19, and we began dating. I got saved a year after uh, we began dating. I uh, was baptized on a um, spontaneous baptism at Gateway um, one morning. Um, fast forward a few years from that, um, Jen and I got married and had three beautiful kids. Life was good. Uh, farming was what I always wanted to do. We were living the dream, so I thought. Fast forward again, November 2021. I was having some health issues and found some blood in my stool. I didn't really think twice about it and carried on. <clears throat> it continued to get worse, so I decided to investigate Fur <clears throat> further. <clears throat> Um, I was booked for a scope, but because of COVID things, things continued to get delayed. Finally, March 31st, 2022, we went for my scope, and I remember Jen dropping me off, and I really didn't think much of it that day, <clears throat> but that day changed our lives forever. Uh, as we look back... <clears throat> uh, as we look back, it was for the better. The scope revealed that I had a tumor in my lower colon about the size of a golf ball. I remember the doctors coming and showing me, showing us pictures and saying, it looks like cancer. We are devastated, 33 years old, three kids, a full life ahead. And that day, we didn't find out the extent of it, but just knew it was cancer. The following week, I had a CT and scans showed uh, the cancer has spread to my liver, uh, lymphs, and lungs. I remember sitting in the doctor's office, feeling the blow of the news. <clears throat> what in the world, God? Why is this happening to me? <clears throat> At this point in my life, I had a choice to make. I could choose to question God and be angry at him, or say, Lord, let your will be done. Not knowing what the outcome would be, we dug into the Bible those next few months following the news. One morning, I sat at the kitchen table. The Lord spoke to me so clearly and said, I am here. Since that moment, the peace that came over has been incredible, and there isn't a way to explain it. Reading Psalms, 
was a go-to for us as we felt David's up and downs experience like never before. We decided not to do chemo immediately and took the spring and summer to do a natural approach. Our oncologist was very blunt with us and he had said you'd probably be dead by September. After that, he said February and since has given up on giving us dates. <clears throat> Only God knows the numbers of our days and we trust in him. During the spring and summer, we saw the Lord move in such mighty ways. He provided financially for us when an oncologist gave us $60,000 in the mail one day. <clears throat> the Lord was enough for us and still continues to be. <clears throat> that fall, results showed the CT scan. Cancer was continuing to grow. We decided at that point to start chemotherapy alongside many natural things we were doing. At first, chemo was going good. As time went on, it took a toll on my body. To be quite honest, chemo weeks feel like hell. It hasn't been all rainbows and butterflies, but Jesus <coughs> continues to be our source of strength. <coughs> Trials produce growth in our lives, and we experience so much growth. <coughs> so that leads me to something that God has put on my heart to share as I was gardening this past summer, God put these thoughts in my mind. <clears throat> what do I need to do to prepare my garden each spring? Till the soil, take out the weeds, <clears throat> rake and prep the ground for a good base for those seeds to be planted. As I was thinking of these things, I thought about our lives and how we're always preparing. We're preparing for life. <clears throat> we're preparing the meal, the task for the week, <clears throat> retirement. Ultimately, we're all preparing for something. So I got to thinking about death. <clears throat> How often do we pair, prepare for that subject? It's one thing for sure in our lives that we're all going to die. Lack of preparation will lead to failure. <clears throat> so why do people get caught up in preparing for the things in this life? for the here and now, but miss the inevitable, <clears throat> which is to come. One day, we will stand face to face with Jesus. <clears throat> and this time, he will be the judge. I want to prepare for that day <clears throat> more than anything else. I've come to realize that many things in this life don't matter and won't come with us when we die. <clears throat> Yet one thing will matter <clears throat> is who I served. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, and, and we need to be ready. To be ready about preparing to die. Do not, I do not wish, I do wish my cancer was gone, yes, but what the Lord has taught me far outweighs the trial I'm walking right now. <clears throat> I don't want to slip back into the old life of not preparing for eternal life. What about you? Will you start living for Christ? Will you fully surrender <clears throat> to his will in your life and point people towards Jesus? He's enough for any situation you're going through. It's not too late. <clears throat> you get to decide. For me, no matter what the outcome is, I win. So I'm thankful for the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Thank you.
It's such a privilege to be up here and just share God's word with you. So Jesse asked me to um, share some scripture with you guys, and then I'm going to share a little bit about, yeah, just what we've been learning. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew 6, 25 through 34. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than the food in your body, more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies of the valley and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothes, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will I eat? What will I drink? And what will I wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So Jesse did chemo this past week on Tuesday, and um, he fell asleep. He was like crashed, and all of a sudden he woke up, and he, he had this quote, and he said it to me, so I wrote it down when he said it, and I was just, yeah, like it went through my mind this week a lot. So he said, when you start to live on borrowed time, you really start to live, but reality is we're all living on borrowed time. I'm going to say that again because it's kind of a mouthful. So as when you start to live on borrowed time, you really start to live. But reality is we're all living on borrowed time. As I thought more about this quote, I realized how evident this has become in our lives. When you're faced with hard trials, perspective changes quickly. You learn to take each day as a gift and not to worry as what it talked about in Matthew 6. It's every day battle to renew our minds to Christ. There are days when the what ifs creep in and I've been learning to say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. And that has incredible power to crush those fears. Living one day at a time has taught us that he is enough and always will be enough. I heard this quote recently and I think of it often too. Glance at the circumstances and gaze continually at Jesus. And those can make such a difference in our lives. So in closing, I was reading a book this past week, and I finished it. And it was by Watchman Lee, or Nee. And he was a missionary in China in the 1920s. And this is the quote that I wanted to share with you. God knows what he is doing, and there's nothing accidental in the life of a believer. Nothing but good can come to those who are wholly his. To what are we committed? Not to Christian work, but to the will of God, to be and to do whatever he pleases. The path of every Christian has, has already been marked out by God. If, uh, if at the close of our lives, we can say with Paul, I have finished my chorus, then we are blessed indeed. Oh, man follow that up. You know, when we talk about how God's at work, really at work in real lives, it's really true. 
It really is true. And, uh, you know, as I thought about what to share tonight, I know, I think, uh, man, I'm, I'm inspired by you guys. To be honest, inspired. When I think of faith and I think of your lives, I'm inspired. Uh, and, you know, as I, uh, I wrote a whole bunch of stuff down, and uh, I'll share some of it with you tonight. But I, I, as I thought about following this up, I, I was really challenged by, the, by this thought. It doesn't matter how you start your race. It matters how you finish. And I think when they shared, you know, this is how it sort of started, you know, you know, it's uh, raised in a Christian home, but it was that spot of finding Christ and then sticking with him all the way through. You know, it doesn't matter how you start. It's that old famous story you tell as a kid, the rabbit and the hare. You know, that's the the hare would run a little ways, but it's the it's the it's the tortoise that yeah, tortoise and a hare. Why can't they just call it a rabbit? A turtle and a rabbit. You know the story. This is going so well. Uh, <laughs> just reminded of it, though. So, so, so many of those things, it's, it's not always the way you think it, uh, it's going to go, but the end is what matters. It's a great movie uh, if you're looking for a family movie night called McFarland, and it is uh, the story of a, a number of young men who, uh, from the town of McFarland who, who uh, wa- you know, wanted to run. They were the, uh, they were the underdogs, as so many of these movies uh, are, and uh, they would run, run in the heat, and they would run early, and they would run late, and they'd run whenever they could, and there would be seven guys on their team, and one of them's name was Danny, Danny Diaz, and tr- I'm trying to spoil the movie, but maybe, maybe it is, but it's still worth watching. Every race, six of the runners' times would qualify. Danny was never fast enough for his time to qualify until the finals. And in the finals, something happened to one of his teammates mid-race, and it was Danny who had just always kept running and kept running kept running, even though his time never mattered because he couldn't get there fast enough. It was his time that, ca- that caused them to win the state championship that year. Why? Never gave up. Never gave up, and it mattered in the end how he finished. You know, and I think about people running their races, and, you know, I think we'd all love for it, that to be the case for every one of us, but some, you know, you think about some runners, they had falls along the way. They would trip, and, you know, it's, and, and at that opportunity, uh, they could either give up or they could get up and keep going. We looked at D- uh, Derek Redmond a week ago, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, where he, you know, he fell in the, in the middle of the Olympics in the 400. The race was over, and yet he got up, and his dad helped carry him to the end of the race because he was going to finish his race. And what I thought it was interesting, how many of you know who actually won that race? Exactly. We're not talking about the gold medal winner. We're talking about the one who fell and got back up. And I thought, man, scripture's so full of people like that. There's people like Samson, man, the guy's life was a mess, a train wreck. But in the end, he finished it well. I think sometimes we have people that are going through life and they're like, man, I've hit some of these hard bumps. And I'm like, oh, I made some mistakes along the way. And like, God, I don't I don't even know. He's like, Tony, get get up finish well. You think of David. David made so many mistakes, and yet he, in the end, was a man after God's own heart, and both of them make it into Hebrews chapter 11. Think of the New Testament. Paul was traveling with this guy named John Mark. They went on a missions trip, and halfway through the trip, Mark took off, and uh, Paul's like, that's it. We're never taking that guy with us again, but at the very end of Paul's life, he writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, find John Mark and bring him, because I know that guy's going to be useful to me in our ministry. It's how he finished. In the races of life, that's what matters most, how you finish your race. Because tonight is really about you. Each and every one of you sitting in this room tonight, you're not here by accident. Uh, It's the challenge for you to consider just what he said. Have you prepared for the end of your race? Because the greatest tragedies are those who are disqualified at the end. We all are going to finish our race. 
but some are disqualified. I remember as a kid getting up in the middle of the night to watch Ben Johnson run 100 meters, 10 seconds to win the gold, and then I could go back to bed, <laughs> only to find out the next day that the, you know, the medal was stripped from him for cheating, and he was disqualified. And I thought, man, there's so many of those in life as well. Like how many, how many, we look to people sometimes, great preachers, great worship leaders, great leaders who have epic collapses in their life. We, we judge it based on how they're running, but it doesn't matter how they're running. It matters how they end their race. Paul talked about it too, that there's men that suffered shipwreck. These, these guys who were like, we're, we're following after God strong enough that our names will end up being recognized, but their names are recognized now for the wrong reasons. Hymenaeus, Alexander, Philetus, these guys who were running well and then suffered shipwreck. They didn't finish the race. Paul wrote to the Galatians, and part of his letter to them was like, hey, get back on track. Galatians 5, verse 7, he says, you were running the race so well, who's held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, because he's the one who called you to freedom. Finish the race well. Been reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. Oh my goodness, what? those are some tough stories. Reading about real people, reading their names, John Wycliffe, John Huss, men who uh, just, again, like we had mentioned earlier, walked to the stake as the, where they were burned for being followers of Christ. Some of them, their families watch, and I'm like, man, these are sad, sad stories. And then I got to the chapter where I think are the saddest one so far. Let me, tell you, let me tell you the names. The names are John Purvey, John Edward, Richard Herbert, Emmett Willie, John Beckett, and John Sainons. Four Johns and two other guys. You know, their saddest story is that they're written in the Fox's Book of Martyrs because they lived. When it came to the point where they had to choose Christ, they recanted on their faith. I'm like, man, those are the saddest of all of the stories. You know, I've been reading through Hebrews, reading it nice and slow and reading through with eyes just open to things I've just really not seen in this way before. And I just couldn't get away from this thought of endurance tonight. And I want to sort of share that with you. That, uh, you know, as I, I was telling my, uh, my kids before I left, sometimes I feel like when I'm here, it's like, it's just like overflow. It's like a cup just so full of what the Lord's doing in my life. It just gently overflows. And tonight is, is like volcano mode. I thought the words of Jesus, I have so much to share, but you cannot bear it. And uh, so we won't share it all tonight. But let me just say this. His words are never-ending well of living water. And when you get in and discover it for yourself, it just is meant to fill you full from, uh, from the bottom to the top and affect every part of your life. And it's truly what we're seeing uh, uh, through Jesse as well. Um, and you know what? I'm going to have to just compact this. Go home and just look it up. But Hebrews chapter 10 let me say this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21. Let's put these things on the screen for the sake of time. You know, he says we've got a high, uh, high priest who rules over God's house, so let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. It's like, let me know you, Lord, and then let me know you more. Let's take full advantage of what he did for us on the cross. He says our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted. And that's what faith is. It's like I have a full trust in God, the one who can be trusted to keep his promise. And then as he writes, uh, as the writer to Hebrews writes this, he, he writes this to them and says, we, we need to be in his presence. And then he has this thought and he kind of does this, this little circle and he says to them, he says, what you actually need right now is patient endurance. 
because this is going to be a long race and you need to finish strong. He's like, some of you are getting sidetracked by sin is what he writes about in Hebrews 10. You're getting sidetracked by sin. He's like, don't, don't do that because there will be judgment from God for those who following him turn towards that instead. And then he says, and, and you're going to go through suffering, but don't let suffering take your eyes off the prize. And then he says it here in verse 35, don't throw away this confident trust in the God who can be trusted. Don't throw that away. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now. So you will continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all that he has promised. And we're like, sweet, we'll receive everything he's promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. He says, and my righteous ones will live by faith. But I'll take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. It's like this harsh, these harsh, strong words. And then he says this. He says it to them. He says it to us. We're not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. He's like, yeah, he paints a picture of some of them. That's not us. He says, we're the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. We're not like those who turn away. We're the ones who are going to live by faith. We're the ones who are going to trust in God, who can be trusted until the very end. He says all of that. And then starts one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. Many of us start reading at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We start there and we read these words. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. And my question that I want to ask you is, what do you think that what we hope for is in this verse? What do you think he means when he says faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen? It gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. You know, so many would think that that's like, well, whatever I can believe for. You know, whatever I can hope for, whatever I can have faith for, whatever I can find in here and have faith for, that's what God's going to do in my life. Whatever, fill in the blank, whatever you believe you can have. But that's not the context of these verses. Not at all. You know, the reason that writer of Hebrews is writing about this, about faith and these amazing men of faith is this, so that those then and us now can learn from the examples of those who went before us, who had their eyes on the prize. They weren't actually, like they weren't actually trying to use their faith to get God to do stuff in their lives so that their lives here would be better. Can I say that one more time? They weren't using their faith to try and get God to do something in their life so their lives here would be better. For many, we've heard that so many times that it's all about here. And if you live by faith, your life's going to be better. This is not about that at all. He says there's something so much more important than here. And every single one of the people on this list was looking to there. You're like, well, how do you know that? Because <laughs> if we read it, we find this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, it says this, and even when, they, even when Abram reached the land that God promised him, he got what he, God promised him here. He says he lived there by faith, which simply means trusting God. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. They were given the land, and yet they lived in tents. And the writer to Hebrews says, here's why. It's not that they didn't have a house. He says this, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. His eyes weren't on here. His eyes knew that this promise, whatever he received here, was not the end goal. But there was something further down the road. And then Hebrews eleven thirteen says this about all of them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They still had faith in him. They died. They did not receive what was promised. Say what? These are the heroes of faith. They should have got everything. No, not according to this. 
He says, they did not receive what was promised. What was the promise? It's that there would be this heavenly kingdom for them. It was that it was not about here, but there's a promise waiting for them there. They saw it from a distance. They welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. In verse 16, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that is why God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then he goes on to describe people who simply just trusted that what God had promised for them would happen and life circumstances wouldn't change it one bit. Example after example after example of people who just lived trusting God for what was to come. That their eyes would never be taken off that prize. Hebrews 11.35 says this, Some of them got certain things on the planet, others not. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in what? a better life after the resurrection. And we keep seeing these people who live by faith, people with great faith, they lived for something beyond this life. Man, I pray we don't miss that because that is the call to those today, to, to those to have great faith, is that I'm confident of what he has promised, that I will see what he has promised for us, for each and every one of us, for me on the other side. Hebrews eleven thirty nine. 39, he says this, all these people earned a good reputation or a good testimony because of their faith, because of their trust in God. Yet none of them received all that God had promised for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Hebrews 12, verse 1, he goes on because it's all about context. He wasn't like, oh, here's one chapter, second. He's like, here's the thought. And then he starts with this word, therefore. You know what? therefore is? It's helping you understand what all of that was there for. Everything he just said, all of those heroes of faith, here is what they were there for. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. It's that call to each and every person to say, there's a, there's a race that you need to run and you need to run it with endurance. They kept their eyes on the prize no matter what happened. And as a result, they are experiencing what was promised. Their lives were lived trusting in the God who could be trusted. And what does he say to them? So based on that, you run your own race. You know, we're so quick to compare ourselves with others or even judge others. We look at their race and be like, oh, yeah, you know, well, if I were them, you know, if I were in their shoes, I, I would be doing this. Or, you know, there's, they're, oh, they're so much better than me. That guy on the stage, so much better. Than, or pff, that guy on the stage, I'm so much better than him. <laughs> whatever it may be, whatever it may be, we're called to run our own race. So often we want to meddle into other people's races and tell them what we think that they need to be doing. It's, it's this. The only encouragement we should be encouraging one another with is to get our eyes on Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, that we can encourage and, and warn but run with them in their races. You know, the writer goes on to simply tell us how we can run with endurance. How do we run a race with endurance? Hebrews 12, 2. We do this. We run a race of faith, trusting in God with endurance by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, here's that word again, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people and you won't become weary and give up. What's he writing? He's like, hey, I know that sometimes in the journey, you feel like quitting. 
in this this race of faith after the Lord, where it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go, or the way you hope, or whatever, it's gonna it's trying to sidetrack you, or you're 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 running in this thing, and there's all these temptations trying to drag you away. He's like, don't give up, don't give up, run with endurance, keep your eyes on Jesus, because there's something there that matters more than here. Francis Chan is that great illustration. I didn't bring it with me, but well, what do you know? Here's one right here. He talks about the rope, and he says that this is our life right here. He says here he knows where you start, and here's, he knows, you know, retirement. He says we spend all of our time in our life just figuring out, planning, prepping for this, like Jesse just said. We prepare, and we prepare, and we prepare for, for here. And then what comes right after that? Well, this, eternity, the never-ending cord, what's going to be our life for the rest of our true life. Man, how many of us would be challenged by those same words? What are we preparing for? What are we preparing for? You know, this week, leave with this thought, did a funeral for a wonderful lady. And as I read her, the uh, little pamphlet they handed out, it just started off with these words, she loved Jesus. I was like, I don't need anything else to preach on. Just that. She loved Jesus. You know, as we thought, as we were talking about all of these things and living our lives for him, I was reminded of this quote by D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody said this, Someday you'll read in the papers that Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it. He says, At that moment, I'll be more alive than I am right now. He says, I was born in the flesh in 1837, but I was born of the Spirit in 1855, and that which is born of flesh may die, but that which is born of the Spirit will live forever. Man, does your heart burn with that? Is that you? You're like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I may have forgotten, but I'm reminded that is me. Yeah, Lord, tonight I see it again that my, my goal is once again where it should be, looking towards Christ and Christ alone. Your faith will be tested. Your faith will be tested. It's not tested in the way of like, well, do I have enough faith to get something? That's not the test. The test is will you remain faithful to him regardless of what comes your way? It matters. It matters. There's a battle for every soul. And even in this moment tonight, I believe that's exactly what's happening. Because I think every one of us, I'm just grateful for his courage to share tonight that every one of us comes face to face with our mortality tonight. Are you truly pursuing Jesus Christ with all that you are? Are you on a race? Are you running a race looking towards Christ that there's even a, there's even a, a Christ at the end of your journey? Because there's no Christianity light. There's no sitting in church and thinking, oh, I'm, I'm okay. And he's calling us to something genuine. And that is that we might know him and know him more. And tonight, as I challenge you with those thoughts, are you ready to meet him? Because you will. 100% of all the people in this room, we will meet him face to face. Some of you are like, oh, this is really awkward. Do you have to be that intense? I just thought of this, man, like, if, if you were in a burning house and someone ran in and woke you up and shook you awake, what would your response be? Do you have to shake me so hard? Just let me go back to sleep. Or would you be like, oh, yeah, thanks for waking me up because I would have slept right through to my death. That's truly what's on the line tonight. Why? Because it's these simple truths. Every single one of us was born on this planet in, in sin. Every one of us was born broken. 
We didn't choose it. We were born that way. And then when we had the chance to choose whether we were going to be good or not, we chose not to be. Every one of us has chosen it. And we're going to stand before God someday and he's going to ask us, hey, are you good enough to get into heaven? And every one of us without fail will have to say, no, I'm not. God, according to your rules, I am not. And there'll be one last question. He'll say, well, what did you do with Jesus? Because I sent him to this planet to wash away and forgive all of your sin. I sent him to this planet to make room for you. But just like that Christmas carol says, let every heart prepare him room. Did you open your heart to him? Did you give your heart? Did you give your life to him? Did you live like you were on borrowed time for him? And each and every one of us will stand there alone. We won't be able to blame a church. We won't be able to blame our spouse. We won't be able to blame bad things that happen in our life. We'll just be standing there with that one thing. My challenge to you tonight is that tonight is the night to decide how you're going to answer that question. To say, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm aware of it tonight, and I choose you. God, would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you fill me with your spirit? I'm going to follow you. Tonight, tonight I pray. I pray that his story, and I pray that his word doesn't fall on deaf ears or fallow hearts because he's still in the business of changing lives tonight, and it just very well may be yours. If you're here tonight, you haven't given your life to Christ, I encourage you not to delay, that even as soon as this is done, (laughs) come running up here and talk to us tonight. We'd love to pray with you, explain and introduce you to who Jesus is and what his plan is for your life. Maybe you're like, I've sat in this church for seven years. Everybody thinks I'm saved. (laughs) Don't worry about what they think. (laughs) Worry about what he thinks. Worry about what he thinks. Once you hit the finish line, there's no more deciding how you'll live. That choice is made tonight. Father, I just pray for us tonight. Jesus, I'm so grateful that what you did on the cross for us gave us even a chance, even a chance. Lord, thank you for putting, for putting enough faith in every heart to trust you. Even that's a gift from you. Lord, I pray for every person in this place that you're drawing tonight, and they know it. They can sense that they know you're calling them to you. Father, I pray that you give them courage to say yes to you tonight, Lord. God, to pursue you, leave everything else behind. Father, thank you for paying the full price for our sin. Thank you for the freedom that that brings. We're grateful, Lord. Thank you for making a place for us. Thank you for giving us the chance to live eternally with you. It's going to take eternity to thank you, Lord, so thank you for giving us that. Father, I pray tonight that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in every heart and life in this place. Father, thank you for Jesse. Lord, thank you for his journey. Thank you for giving him the courage to speak tonight. Lord, thank you for speaking through him. Lord, I pray that in all things you would be glorified. Many lives would be turned to you because of it. God, we commit the rest of this night and the rest of our lives to you. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen.